0: Amen, (laughs) amen. Thank you, Will. Thank you, band. Uh, And thank you for being here. If you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter two. You know, it's funny as I was studying this week. I don't think in the last two months we have I have preached a sermon that did not involve one of the first three chapters of the Bible uh, of Genesis uh, in the last two months. Uh, But we are laying down some pretty heavy foundation. And I just think it's important that as we talk about families, that we lay down the foundation. We go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, There's only two covenants that God has called us into today that are existing today for man. One is his covenant that was purchased by his blood on the cross, right? A relationship with Jesus Christ. The second is is the marriage relationship. It's the family, right? And so uh, I think it's important. We're, 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 this is our second week in Families Count. Uh, we talked last week about the purpose, my family's purpose. What is my family's purpose? For existing. It's not just a way that we can be happy and content, but what is the overall reason? What is God's understanding for why my family exists? And we're gonna unpack that a little bit further, but before we do, uh, I want to give you a little bit of insight into Families Count. Uh, I'm very specific about the name of that title because it's a name of a ministry uh, that we are going to be a part of very, very soon. As, as soon as this fall, we could push it back a little bit later. But we are going to be involved in a Jerusalem ministry, uh, missions that will be funded through our Give to Go. So if you guys are giving to that, October is our Give to Go offering that we present every single year, So we're not asking you to give, you know, all throughout the year to different things. It's our one offering that we have uh, that funds all of our missions, endeavors as a church, our ministry partnerships. And one of those is going to be families count. And so if you've pledged to give, we want to keep that in front of you next week. Actually, we're gonna be reminded about what God is doing in Tuscaloosa in one of our missionary partnerships. Uh, if you are an Alabama fan, that's God's country. If you are an Auburn fan, those heretics need Jesus. Either way, you're on board with a the church there, okay? So uh, so we will tell you a little bit about that next week, excited about that. But Families Count uh, is a uh, opportunity that has been made available to us to life, by Lifeline Children's Services. We had a guy come in, Tim Christ, Uh, came in and shared with us a little bit about the foster care system, the the state of fostering uh, and adoptive care in the United States today. And obviously there's a great need, but out of that conversation uh, came an opportunity for us to minister to a place of extreme brokenness in our community And so, Families Count is the ministry that we are going to be doing. What we are going through this month will actually take you through all of the counts, all of the tenants, and the teaching points of the Families Count ministry. We are going to be working with DHR and the court systems, hopefully, prayerfully, as we set these relationships up, uh, to provide supportive systems, not for foster families, but the goal of foster care is to get families with birth parents. Um, to reunification is the goal of foster care. Now, adoption is different, but foster care is is hopefully to get the parents to the place of stability where they can then lead their families well and be parents and provide safe and uh, supportive environments for them to live in and thrive in. And so what we are going to be a part of is an opportunity for our church to speak into the brokenness in our communities. Those families that have lost children or are going through crisis, maybe in danger uh, of losing that privilege, uh, we will be helping and ministering and teaching them, providing parenting classes and resulting mentorship to help families to get to a place of healthiness. Now, here's the beautiful thing about that. We get to support them and be a part of that protective care for that family. And that's going to be messy, and that's going to be tough, and that these people are going to come from sordid backgrounds. But here's where we come in as the church. We have something that the world does not have. We have the only thing that can actually change people. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And armed with that gospel, we get to present that gospel for six weeks to these families over and love on them and build a relationship with them and help sustain them. We get the opportunity to do these things, ultimately, to bring them to the point where maybe, prayerfully, they receive and come into a relationship with Christ and he changes their life, right? And so uh, we're really, really excited about this ministry. There's a lot to it. We'll get into the nuts and bolts a little bit next week. but if I'm going to preach at you, I'm going to have to do that now because we ain't got time to go through all the particulars. But come next week, we'll share a little bit more about what that looks like. Um, but we don't want to neglect the foster families. Uh, we want to be a point of support and contact for them. But we really want to be able to speak into this and to be able to share the gospel with people, some of whom, imagine this, being, being taken from your children taken from you, are at the lowest, most broken point in their life we get the opportunity to speak the hope of the gospel right? That's a, a beautiful thing, an exciting thing, but we need you to do it. So what we're going through is we're going through this and we're not just going through it on Sunday mornings. If you are in a home group, great. If you are not, you are going to miss out on this study because what we talk about on Sundays will be parsed out and are going to be applied to what we're going to be talking about during our midweek stuff. And so we have small groups beginning this week that are resuming meeting and we want you to be a part of it. All right, I believe what Will said in the announcement video that I heard last service was if you're missing home groups, you're missing a vital part of what it means to be involved here at Lindsay Lane North. All right. I would argue it is not your church until you are involved in ministry and you are involved in groups. Uh, And so we get the opportunity to break this out. It's a combo series is what we call it for the first month. And why are we going through this material? What we're teaching is exactly what we will be. I say exactly. It's going to be very close to what we will be teaching those families for two reasons. One, because what we are communicating, what we're teaching is simply a Christian, a biblical worldview on what God's design is for the family. It's important for us to understand whether our family is in crisis or not. It is important for us to understand what is God's design for the families that we have been placed in, that we are a part of. God has a design for us. And so we're going to be talking about the Christian worldview of family. So we're doing it to teach us, to engage us, and to hopefully allow you to think of things that maybe you've never thought of before. But secondly, we're going to need help in this ministry and we want you to hear the things that will be shared that can possibly transform the lives of people because we want you involved in it. Uh, and so we'll be making that call as the series goes on and as we get closer to launch. But we want you to be involved in this Family Counts ministry as our Jerusalem partnership. And so just be prayerfully thinking about that. But if you've got your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 2. When we talk about the purpose of our family, which is count... Five, I believe, is, is what we talked about last week. Count one is that our families exist to be successful and to, to last, right? And the way that we do that is through living our divine purpose. What is our divine purpose? Our divine purpose is God's glory. And so our, the title for our message today is My Family for God's Glory. What does it mean to live for God's glory? John Piper tells us that God's glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness. Now, he said that in John Piper speak, which is hard to understand. But then he clarifies. It is the going public of the holiness of God. We know that God is holy. In fact, there are angels right now in heaven that are doing nothing else but speaking to God, declaring in the heavenlies the holiness of God. They are uttering this refrain, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the, for the rest of eternity, there are angels that are echoing that, that refrain in heaven, that God is holy and his glory is attached to his holiness it is the going public of his holiness. It is the announcement to creation. It is the announcement to created order. It's an announcement to us as humankind that God is holy. And through his holiness, we begin to be about God's glory. So what does that mean? His glory is responsible for our creation. Remember what Colossians 1, we talked about it last week. That through him, all things were created and for him. Not just through him, but for him. So he created us with a purpose and an intent for your life to be lived out for his glory. His glory draws us into a relationship with him. And we understand who God is. And that he has anything to do with us. We are drawn into a relationship with him. How does a good and holy God have anything to do with my brokenness? When I recognize that, I am drawn into a relationship with him. So God's glory is, is revealed to us, right? Through drawing us in relationship to himself. His glory is what sends us out. Once I have been changed by the weight and the magnitude of who God is and how holy he is and how he's made a way for me to be right with a holy God through Jesus, immediately in my heart and mind, I desire to see it done in others. Right. What did we just I build my life on you, on Christ. Right. And then he sends us out to those around us. Right. He changes us and then he makes us about the family business, which is life change in others. And so it's God's glory that sends us out. John Piper says God's glory is the goal of all things. Everything we read in Scripture ultimately is encapsulated in God's glory. Not the glory of man, but the glory of God. And so all things exist for him. Man is placed in a unique role in creation. Because we aren't just created by God's glory, through God's glory, but we are different from every other thing in creation in that God Has created us in his image. Now we have talked about that at great length here, recently even, that B, we are made in the image. Of God. But as his image bears, what God has called us to, called mankind to, is to reflect his glory in the same way that the moon does not have produced light in and of itself. But what we see when we see the moon, we are seeing just a reflection of the sun's light. We are reflecting the glory of God and representing him in our life. Why? Because we're made in his image. And we are treasured creation as a result of that. And so because we are his image bearers, God has created us to reflect his glory in everything. And our family is no exception. So with me today, if y'all know me, you know I'm all about the object lessons. I have a picture that has a little bit of history that I really enjoy. Uh, I've giggled about this uh, multiple times. Uh, There's a family in our church that allowed me to use this um, do y'all know what caricatures are? Go to Gatlinburg, which is where this family went. Go to Gatlinburg and you go into the place and they, they draw your picture. Maybe you're on a street corner and they draw your picture. They overemphasize certain attributes of you, make kind of silly, and then they, but you look at it and you're like, oh, I know exactly who that is. Well, some are more effective at that than others. And so I wanna show you this caricature that this family's not too proud of. And I want you to know, I want to see if you can tell who it is, all right? Can y'all tell who that is? Any guesses? It's Will and Emily. That's exactly who it is. (laughs) Let me tell you who Will and Emily think this is. Will and Emily think this is Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. (laughs) That this guy's got every known actor or famous person pop star around and he's like that person looks a lot like this person or at least somewhat close and he's like I think he just has a design and he was getting all they hear them tell the story like they went in they were on a trip and they're like oh let's let's make this memory and they paid the guy money and he's like getting all these details like what color is your eyes and all that kind of stuff and then he turns it around and he's like this is Bradgelina here, right? Like, and, and so I found it so but It's hanging in our office. So if you'd like to take a closer look at it, come and hang out with us in Athens at the main campus, and we'll show you the picture. Um, but here's what I think about this. Sometimes caricatures, right, are intended, the, the goal of them, even though they're silly and designed to be kind of funny, they're made to reflect what the person looks like. The goal of the caricature was not really accomplished here. Instead, it's a twisted view of who Will and Emily really are. If you were to look at this picture and then try to figure out who that person was without knowing Will and Emily and knowing that they were, you know, very very close friends of our family and in ministry together, and you would may never drawn the conclusion that's who this is, right? And I think sometimes that's how we treat the glory of God. God has called us to reflect his glory. And when we individually and as a family fail to do so, we give a twisted and tarnished and shrouded view of the glory of God to a world that desperately needs it. And so what does it mean to be a family that lives... For his glory, but may I not be a goofy caricature of the glory of God that has transformed my life, but may I reflect it in others so that others are drawn to that relationship so that then they can be about drawing others as well. Man is placed in a unique role and we are to be a reflection of who God is, but sin has distorted the picture. So let's go before sin, let's go before it to Genesis chapter 2. And let's look at God's design for the different roles that we have in the family. The first role that we're going to look at look at is reflecting God's glory as a couple. God had placed Adam and Eve in Eden in a position to thrive. He had showed, him, showed them their, his goodness, right? Showed Adam his goodness. He had blessed them. He told them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. He had given them a role to play. He had given them a position of authority in creation. They are to subdue it and have dominion over all of the animals. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant for food. So God had completely provided for Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we see a magnifying glass. Genesis 1 tells us of the creation account of man, but they're created man and male and female, right? Male and female, he created them is what Genesis 1 tells us. Genesis 2 puts a magnifying glass on what this creation of man really looked like. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his its name. I think this is a beautiful picture of where we see man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Yes, God knew what he would name every creature. Yes, God created them, but he gave them a task. He gave them a will. The man could name the animals. He was given freedom within that sovereignty to name the animals. In my mind, he might have gotten a little lazy, like he came up with creative names like parrot and uh, rhyming names like ferret, right? Or dog and cat. And then he probably got a little lazy and animals started blending together and looking at each other. And he's like, what do you call this animal? Adam, uh, what's he doing? Well, he's right now he's eating some ants. Ant eater, that's it. Right? Like maybe he got lazy in this, but God gave him a divine task and one that he found joy and fulfillment in. Right? But he was given the chance to name every living creature. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of heaven and to the beasts of the field. But to, for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So he brought her as the perfect complement for man, but the man had not named her yet. We find that in verse 23. Then the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Father, let us see things the way you see them. Our glory gets in the way of your glory at times. We recognize that in our sinful nature. And so God, let us see your design. Not just for marriage, but for our role as family members in every area. God, may you lead us to a full obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we see is reflecting God's glory as a couple. As a married couple... We see it in its importance and core things about it, even in the creation account of man and woman, right? God creates man. The word Adam adam in Hebrew literally means dirt or earth. How did God create man? Well, he created man the same way he created all living creatures. He took earth and he formed it. He took dirt and he formed it and he breathed life into it and it became man. Now, God was perfectly capable of creating woman the same way. He could have taken dirt and made a, maybe a lot prettier dirt from somewhere else, right? He could have formed it a little nicer and then he could have breathed life into it and ta-da, there's woman. But that's not what we see here. In fact, the creation of woman is distinct from every other living creature in that God used an animate object. He used a living thing to create woman out of. He created him out of the rib of man. So he took the rib of man and he he created woman and he presented her to Adam. Though perfectly capable of creating the woman in the same way he created man, he chose to create her from a living creature. Man, as a part of his task, would survey all creation, seeing that all the animals as he named them with their complement, but there was no one for himself. So think about this, Adam was given the task before the creation of Eve, Adam was given the task to name every animal, right? So here's the male and the female anteater, here's the male and the female dog, here's the male and the female cat, and in his mind, there had to be this progression of thought, all of these mating pairs, these perfect complements to one another, what does God's word say? There was not a helper fit for him. So an animal of any species could not accomplish the task to be man's perfect complement. Notice I did not say subordinate, but his complement, his equal that he, I got a fist pump from Brenner right there. Uh, they are to be his perfect complement and companion. And what was created in Adam was this desire and this need. For woman, this need for his perfect complement, as God has created all living things to procreate and to be fruitful and multiply. Here I have this task, but I can't be fruitful and multiply. There's no compliment for me. God is creating within him a desire and a sense to want a mate. And he causes a sleep to fall. He creates a... A woman out of the rib of Adam, and he presents her to woman, uh, to man. He presents her to Adam, and Adam has this moment of raptured worship. And, and, And I know that sounds funny, but it's really what it is. In an overwhelming sense of love. For the woman, his perfect compliment and gratitude for God for creating this beautiful thing that was to perfect him in every way, that was to cover his weaknesses psychologically and physiologically, like God, he saw them and he yells out, this one I've got a name for. Right? I've gotten lazy in the past, but that's woman. So the word man is the Hebrew word ish. There is a designation that he gives woman that is unique from every other female in the created order. There is not a woman duck. There is not a woman cat. Woman is unique to only The human race, a designation for the woman. Literally, the word is Isha, almost identical in the Hebrew to the man, his perfect complement, but is seen as an act of of worship and value assigned to the woman. This is, I am ish, but this is Isha. This This is God doing what only God could do to create something of incredible value that I have craved for a long time. And he creates this woman he presents her to Adam. There's this moment of incredible appreciation and gratitude to God. He notices the intricacies of God's handiwork and he is thankful for the partnership that God had provided. He didn't do that with the rest of created order but he did it to those who were created in his image. So that they wouldn't rule over the woman, but he would rule beside the woman. That he would partner with them. That he would value them. Listen, there are things in our life, in our home, that drive me up a wall when it comes to my wife. She is different from me physiologically, thank the Lord, and, and, and psychologically Right? There are things that she does that I'll never understand. When things happen wrong that go wrong in our house, I'm ready to punch a hole through things. She cries. What kind of response is that? It doesn't make any sense to me, and there are times that it annoys me. Great. Cry. Now I'm now I'm the bad guy, right? Like you've done okay, great victim. Right? Here's the problem. She is my counterpart. She's not Ish. She's Isha. She is created for me and presented ultimately to me by God to be valued and respected as my perfect complement, meaning I am better for the kingdom. I am better for God's glory. I am a better reflection of who God is when that woman is beside me. That is God's design for you as a couple. Not to look at each other's differences and go, I can't believe you responded this way. Can't believe you would parent this way. I can't believe that you would act this way or say this thing. But through it all, get mad, cry, whatever you got to do. Deal, process, okay, I'm not saying just lock it all in, process, but recognize that person is made in the image of God just like you are, and they have created both with value. The man was drawn to the woman out of desire, and the woman was drawn to man. Why? Verse 24, therefore, because of the worship that God created in that moment of gratitude and thanksgiving with the basis being love, Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, they will break the bonds of family relationship with this family of origin and they will knit themselves together because there is a drawing and a thanksgiving to God and a love for each other. Right? This is what we see in God's word. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother The two will become one flesh. And then it says this. And they were naked and they were not ashamed. Now let's not gloss over that. We live in a world where a sexually charged culture that has over-sexualized everything and has twisted everything. But the naughtiness and the perversion of sexuality We did, not God. Created in perfection, they were naked and they were not ashamed. Can I tell you what God's design for your marriage is? God's design for your marriage is to be a place of complete and total honesty, to be a place without shame, to be a place without guilt, and to be a place of total vulnerability. Men, that's gonna be harder for us than it's probably gonna be for the woman. Emotions, vulnerability just sometimes just seems to flow out with those tears, right? But us men, we process with less, we deal with it and we go on. We take it on the chin and we go, right? God has called us to be vulnerable. And if there are secrets in your home, you are nursing a time bomb you are running out the clock for disaster in your home. You know why? Because God's design for it was for the husband and wife to be naked and unashamed, to be completely comfortable with one another, having no secrets, full accountability, and there was incredible love drawn to one another, clinging together. Within this degree of unification and intimacy, secrets and shame have no place. So women how you, women how you feel about your body when you look at it in the mirror that's irrelevant because secrets and shame have no place. And so God's glory as a married couple is reflected to the world through value and vulnerability. To value one another to value who they are in the image of Christ. Now, to recognize their brokenness, we don't, have, we don't need help with that, do we? We don't need help figuring out where all the flaws are, but to recognize that they are made in the image of God, they are placed in your life in God's sovereignty as this complement for you, to respect and value them and lead alongside one another and to be better reflections of Jesus as a result to the lost and dying world to be vulnerable with one another, to trust one another. Very real application to this. Man could be going home and being very real about things that you struggle with, with your spouse. Ladies, same goes for you. To be open and open and honest so that you can pursue Christ together in the middle of your brokenness. Paul doubles down on this. Ephesians 5, 32. He doesn't just say, hey, it's about marriage. He says, this marriage is important. He quotes Genesis 2. And then he says, the reason why they're gonna leave and cleave, it doesn't just point to the marriage, it points to Christ and the church. So now, when you're locked into a marriage covenant, it ain't about you anymore, big boy. If If the feelings and the emotions go away, tough luck. Because you are in something that is bigger than the sum of its parts. You are now a reflection of the glory of God in your commitment to one another as Christ has committed his love to us. And we would pursue each other in that context long after the I do's are spoken. And so this is what we see, right? Women are called to respect, men are called to love in Ephesians 5 33, right? To share all things together. And where there's bitterness and a lack of love or respect or dishonesty and sin, the glory of God is tarnished. You constantly at odds with your spouse has eternal ramifications. Women always see it, but I guarantee you, your friends do. Man, if they got Jesus in the center of that relationship, I want nothing to do with that Jesus. That is, that is ratchet relationship. And if Jesus does that, I, I don't want any part of it. But secondly, we reflect God's glory as parents. And listen, there are so many passages that we could use here. I'm going to use a, a more obscure one, but it's just something that just struck a chord in my heart. Turn to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, we reflect God's glory as a couple, as a married unit. And by the way, folks, what I'm talking about is in the context of marriage. If you're still putting on all of your surveys that you are single, meaning you don't have a husband or a spouse, that doesn't apply to you. Just need to understand that because we've, we're in relationships now that have taken like ratcheted things up and the reason why sex is on the table is because we're holding, we're, we're, we're putting people in the same standard as a forever mate as opposed to someone that we're, we have an interest in and boy, that is a recipe for disaster. Students, let me, let me give you just real quick. Now I'm on a soapbox. You passed your soapbox. Here we go. Being drawn into sexual sin is not proof of God's love in your relationship. According to 1 Corinthians 3, look at all the definition of love, 1 Corinthians 3. Love rejoices, does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. So you being drawn to that is not proof of your love for each other. It's proof of love's absence in your relationship. It is proof positive that you don't love each other the way Christ defines it. And that should be problematic. But then we're called to love as parents. The context of this passage is the people of Israel have just crossed over the Jordan River and God tells them to build a memorial in a town that you could still see the Jordan River. He says, build a memorial. Now, I love what Joshua did. He's like, I'm not just building a memorial there. I'm going to build a memorial in the river, right? Like, I'm going going in the river and building a memorial. And he does both, right? But they build a memorial to what God did at Gilgal, right, As, as they crossed over the Jordan River. Look at verse 20 in Joshua 4. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth... may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Last week we talked about stones of remembrance. I was inspired by the Experiencing God study to set up these stones of remembrance and I was spending some time with that passage and this is why God led me to this. I told you how thankful I was for all the things that God has done in my life. And gratitude begets obedience, right? If we're thankful for God, we're going to be obedient to God, right? Thankful for what God did, we're going to be obedient in the present and future. But that is not... The original design—that is not the immediate design. I don't think it's wrong to interpret it that way because sometimes we need reminders too. But in the immediate context of why God told Israel to put stones of remembrance at Gilgal was not for Joshua and all the grown-ups. Who was it for? When your ask, when your children ask their fathers, "What are these stones here for?" Can I ask you a question? How faithful has God been in your life? How faithful has He been despite your obedience and despite your willingness and desire to wonder at times? How faithful has He been? Let me ask you this. Do your children know that story? Do they know about the faithfulness of God in your life to accomplish what you could not accomplish on your own. Alan, I got a bad past. And I don't want my kids to know that that's an option for them, so I'm not gonna tell them. Can I tell you you're selling the blood of Jesus short? You know what that is? That's your testimony. That's your story of how God crossed you over things that you could not accomplish on your own. Do your children know your testimony? Do they know the record of how God has proved himself faithful over and over and over again? Have you allowed your children to be part of big decisions in your life that required faith and obedience instead of being able to see it and feel it? Have they been a part of those decisions? Or is this stuff for the grown-ups? What's beautiful about the stones of remembrance is they're not for us immediately. They're for our children. So that you will fear the Lord your God forever. Can I tell you, I remember the day my dad came in. He worked at Bob Wallace Appliance. As a kid, I called it blah, blah, blinds. So at our home, that's what we call it. So he worked at blah blah Bliance and I remember he—he's dude—he he could sell ice to an Eskimo man. I would argue he just upgraded his product. Uh, he's a pastor now, um, but dude, he is—he's a sales—he's a salesman, and um, I remember him coming in and saying, "Kids, your daddy's been called to full time ministry. I'm not going to work at blah blah Appliance anymore." I'm going to go to Bethlehem and I'm going to be the youth pastor, an associate pastor. And what that's going to mean is we've lived a pretty cushy, comfortable life. The dude sold well and made tons of money. We've had a certain lifestyle that we've lived. And we ain't gonna be able to live it anymore. I remember three years later after we had ate through all the reserves because we didn't quite make that lifestyle change quick enough. Some of you parents know what I'm talking about. And because of that, we had eaten through all those reserves. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves where we are literally depending on God every single paycheck for sustenance and survival. And time and time again, God proved himself. I can tell you in good conscience knowing that my dad never regretted that decision and us as kids, while we might have missed some of the things that that afforded us when he worked at Bob Wallace, what it instilled in us is a stone of remembrance that I can tell you that I have seen God's faithfulness firsthand when my daddy chose to reflect god's glory through the calling on his life instead of chasing the things that glitter in this world and y'all it is seated in there it is grounded and it is rooted and i would argue that i may not be in this place today cuz there were plenty of times in my own personal life in my own ministry where i could have cut and run because it hurts so much God brought me to this. And now I'm leading as a result of not just my faithfulness. Shoot, y'all. I ain't got what it takes. The faithfulness of a dad and a mother who led me in the way that I should go. This speaks, if God's glory, right, is demonstrated, is reflected through parents, right, through vulnerability and through uh, what we say, value and vulnerability, God's glory as parents is reflected in intentional discipleship and evangelism. You know, I say, you know why I say evangelism? Like, I've been, I've been trained up. The goal was not for all the families to get together and sing kumbaya about how God delivered them over the Jordan River. The goal was to do what I just did for you, and I didn't even realize I was doing it until I did it the first service. Me telling you what God did in my family 30 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, Is exactly what God wanted the people of Israel to do. What does he say in verse 24? So that the people of the world will know and fear God. It's not just about your family. It's about once you've discipled your family, once they are rooted, once they're grounded, they are sent out to a lost and dying world. Can I ask you this question? And this is challenging for me as a dad. Does God does your child know that God has the ability to call them to the nations far away from you if that is what God has called them to do? Have you talked to your kids enough about the calling of God in your life so that they know that there is no limit to what God could call them to? Does your kid know that they could be called to the nations? Or is it just an expectation in your home because you don't want your kids to go very far? Because you want to be with them around them forever. Is it just an expectation in your home that they stay close? Are they? Do they know that they are missionaries, that they can be called to Jerusalem? Sure, but they can be called to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or to the ends of the earth. Is your, but is your family held so closely That they're not just your children, they're your idols. Do they know they can go? Do they have your blessing to go? Because the glory of God that is reflected in your life is reflected in your children's life. If we take seriously the command of God to parent. And then lastly, reflecting God's glorious children. Discipleship and evangelism as parents. Until now, I haven't spoken to everybody in this room in their present context. Not all of you are married and even less of you have kids. But I am speaking to all of you when I speak to children. Why? Because the commands of God to how we respond to our parents, they are not held by age limitations. They're not. There's no age limit. There's no moment when I am not the son of Lon and Susan Ostriski. So... As their child, I am called to have to a level of obedience and honor of them. I am to give weight and worth to who they are. Listen to this. Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 3. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land, right? To be obedient. And then it says to honor. So there's a difference in being obedient and honoring. My kids sometimes are obedient to me without honoring me. Anybody that's ever made their kid clean their room understands that right obedient they get it done usually terribly but they're obedient they're just not honoring in that obedience What does honoring speak to it, it speaks to the heart it speaks to the heart now you may be saying alan you you don't know my parents you don't know the sin in their lives you don't know what they put me through as a child. What I would say to that is, as it relates to this command, it doesn't matter. Because you're not just being obedient to them. You're not just giving honor to them. Don't believe me? A couple verses down, Ephesians 5, 6, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Jesus talks to slaves. Paul is talking to slaves, some of them with harsh masters that place unrealistic expectations on their life. And he says, bond servants, be obedient. your masters, not just be obedient and then talk about them behind their back, but with sincere hearts, with trembling as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Why has God called us to respect, honor, and obey our families, our parents Because we are not obeying just our parents, we are obeying God. For us to forget about that is to forget about the sovereignty of God in our life. God has allowed the authority in your life for a reason. He's allowed it there. He's put it there. He could have put you at any point in history, but he put you there with that parent. Now, I'm not telling you your parents are always godly, Because my kids can get up here and tell you. Sometimes they tell you even without you asking. They'll just tell you how ungodly I am sometimes. I'm not saying your parents are always godly. What I'm saying is the posture you take to them should always be this standard. To obey and to submit. To honor and respect. Why? Because they were placed there by God. It may very well be to bring you to the place that you're at, not under them in the direction that they've led, but God's placed them there. He's sovereign and in control. We can't escape that. So we're to be obedient. Kids, that's shoe as well. Don't think that you get off because you're younger. You're talking to all the grown ups in here. God has called us to obedience. A promise. There's a promise. What's the promise that you will be blessed by God? What's the covenant blessing for the Old Testament? You get to be in the Promised Land for a long time. That was the covenant blessing. What's the co- what's the blessing for us? The blessing for us in His abundant life in Jesus. It's producing fruit in our life, meaning that if there's rupture in your relationship with your parents, now listen, I'm not saying you get in the filth with them. I'm not saying you do all the things, all the unholy things that they do. I'm saying you love and respect them and honor them as the authority as parents in your life. Why? Because we most reflect the glory of God when we have the posture of honor and submission. So God's glory as children is reflected in honor and submission Listen, it very well may be you, the way you approach your parents with love and honor, despite the fact that they know they don't deserve it, that could be the very thing that reaches them for the gospel. I've seen it happen. I remember talking to a man when I was a youth pastor who came to the church for the first time on a Sunday morning. And usually the kids would respond, you know, I'd stand over here on the side on a Sunday morning. The kids would come to me if they wanted to make a decision for Christ on Sunday morning. And this this kid's dad got up and he walked up to me. And he said, Alan, my son, and he told him by name, he named him by name. He said, my son has been a spiritual leader in my home for far too long. I'm ready to take serious what God has called me to do. What is that? It's a child's honoring of their parent that eventually draws them to Jesus. Being who they are called to be in Christ so that the parent follows suit. It's beautiful. We are reflecting. Guys, we have not been called to reflect this tarnished and ugly caricature of the glory of God. We are his image bearers. And as a, as a family unit, we reflect Christ together as a couple a married man and woman, as parents, and as children. This is what Christ has called us to. And so if you would bow your head and close your eyes. Listen, it's not not about us. Some of the stuff I've said has made you uncomfortable. Maybe you just need to be reminded again it's not about you. It's about God's glory. And you go, Alan, well, that's unrealistic. Let me tell you what's more unrealistic What's more unrealistic is a person that is bent towards sin like I was to be found and to be restored in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. For me, who is a child of God's wrath, who was dead in my transgressions and sin, it's more unrealistic that I am made alive together with Christ as a co-heir to the glory of God, to the kingdom of God, of God, That's more unreasonable, I promise, than you choosing to love, than you choosing to love your spouse, you choosing to disciple and to send out your children. Are you repairing a bad relationship with your parents? What Jesus did is more. And that's what he leads us to we are not our own anymore. We are a reflection of His glory. And if you're here today, maybe you want that. Man, maybe maybe you want your son or your daughter to be able to share the testimony of your faithfulness to Jesus. Can I tell you, that comes from a relationship with Him. That doesn't come from you trying real hard, gritting and bearing it. It comes from being right with Jesus. So today, if you don't have a relationship with Christ or maybe you're walking a guilty distance from Him, this invitation is for you. Would you respond to the hope of the gospel that He makes all things new? He doesn't give us a spit shine, y'all. He makes us new. He throws out the old and in with the new. So if you've never been made new by Him, would you respond to that? I'm, I'm here, would love to talk to anybody that needs to make any decision for Christ. You're the most important person in this room. Priority number one today is you. Maybe you need to get some things right. Maybe you need to spend some time with your families. Maybe right rather seated beside you. Maybe you need to spend some time in prayer right now. Maybe giving some things over to him. Maybe surrendering some of that schedule that you have Clouded up, that you have busied up, you can't cram another thing in. Maybe God may call you to workshop, and this time of invitation with your family, how you're going to make room as we sing. Whatever, whatever decision you need to make, know that I'm here, would love to talk to you. We've got counselors that are waiting as well. This altar is open for prayer. Whatever you need to do, whatever business you need to do with the Lord, I just pray that you would respond as the Holy Spirit is leading you right now in this moment. Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Have your way in our home. Have your way in this church. Have your way in this moment. Lord, eliminate the distractions and the things that separate. Let us respond to you. In Jesus' name. Stand your feet as we sing, would you come?